Welcome to Justice Rising, a podcast of the Inner Community Peace and Justice Center, where we explore emerging justice work through story and relationship. I'm your host, Cecilia Flores, and for our last episode of the season, I am joined by my good friend, Dallas Carter. Hailing from the state of Hawaii, Dallas shares the largely unheard history of how the Hawaiian kingdom was overthrown and annexed by the United States, and how this has had a long-lasting impact on the native Hawaiian people. Dallas also shares his experiences being Native Hawaiian, American, and Catholic, and how studying history helped him find peace in his complex identity. Welcome to Justice Rising. I'm your host, Cecilia Flores, and I'm joined by my good friend, Dallas Carter. How are you, Dallas? Very good. I'm very grateful uh, to be here. Thank you so much. Um, I'm on the island of Oahu. Yeah, Makamokupuni Oahu. So I'm on Oahu, but I'm in the Pai'aina of Hawaii which is, um, you know, the uh, the state of Hawaii, yeah. I'm so happy that we were able to make this happen. Um, I know originally we were trying to aim for around November 28th, and uh-huh. I see you have your November 28th shirt. Yes. And so um, I wanted to invite you on because, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe we'll start with the first question. You can just kind of riff on that, but maybe can you just introduce yourself and tell mm-hmm. us who you are in whatever way you feel is most reflective of your identity. Sure, sure, sure. Well, aloha mai and noho makamaka ovao o Dallas, noho vao iho vai makamakupuni o Oahu. I am Dallas and I am uh, part Hawaiian. I am, my, my mother is Hawaiian and my father is American. And so I am part Hawaiian. I lived on the island of Oahu, like I mentioned. And on my Hawaiian side, my ancestry traces back all the way to the grand orator of Kamehameha III, the chief Naihe. And um, I think that I've inherited some of that because I like to talk just like he liked to talk. <laughs> and so um, we have, you know, that's my mo'uku'au which is very important to Hawaiian people. That's uh, their ancestry. And so uh, that's where I'm from. And I'm very, very uh, proud of being Hawaiian. Um, I, I do like this question because this is something that I just just the, the the prompt to say what best describes you. I'm not sure if even Cecilia has known knows this about me, but the way I view myself or the way I've always understood myself and my my siblings to be or my sibling, my sister to be is we are American and we are grateful to be American. We're American because my dad is American. Um, and because he's American, I'm American. However, my mother and her genealogy has no trace of lineage outside of Hawaii. And as we'll hopefully get into, I'd like to share, um, I do not believe that she is American. I believe that she is Hawaiian. I believe that the nation of Hawaii has never legally been dissolved. And so I view myself because both America and Hawaii allowed dual citizenship. I consider myself a dual citizen. I am American, but I'm also Hawaiian, and uh, I'm very passionate about the rights of Hawaiian people. But um, prior to the rights of Hawaiian people, I'm very passionate about educating people about what who what Hawaii is, our history, and who our people are. Um, I also enjoy teaching the language and teaching other parts of Hawaiian history and storytelling and things like that. Um, I'm also... Uh, I'm also a Catholic. I have my master's degree in Catholic theology, and uh, I thought I was going to be a priest, and then I met my wife, so that didn't work out. <laughs> um, but uh, 
I'm very passionate about the Catholic Church as well. Um, and uh, it's also an interesting part of the story here, too, when you see the intersection of faith um, and justice, faith and working for people's rights, faith and the Hawaiian people. And so um, I'm kind of, uh, you know, I like bacon and eggs. So that's kind <laughs> of, a, you know, a, a little bit. I'm drinking Ava today. If if people are seeing this, I Ava is the root of a plant. It is a Hawaiian or a Polynesian drink, rather. And I say that, give me a second, because even though it was consumed in Hawaii throughout the ages, it's also consumed in places like uh you know, Samoa and um, Aotearoa, as well as in like Fiji and throughout Micronesia. So it's more of a Pacific Island drink, but uh, it's uh, even though I do drink alcohol, sometimes I, I prefer Ava. So and is, does I'm that have about. like health benefits or what is the what's the uh, magic behind it? I don't yeah, know. Sure. So sure. It's, so it's the root of a plant and it's crushed and it's kind of the way you make it is you kind of steep it almost like a tea. OK, right? the way you brew it. And uh, it's very relaxing. Um, so it has a slight, slight intoxication, but the intoxication is a relaxing feeling. You can't get drunk off of it. You don't lose your reason or anything like that. It just relaxes your body. Um, and so it's, uh, when I had my surgery, I, I had a surgery on my chest cause I tore a muscle maybe, uh, five years ago, I threw away all the, all the opioids. Right. And I didn't want to do any of that stuff. Um, I didn't want to get addicted. And so I just drank Ava instead a lot of Ava and it helped me, <laughs> it helped me through, it helped me through it. And it's, um, it's a, it's a pain reliever. Uh, it's given to animals here in Hawaii during like wow. uh, new year's so that people don't go crazy over the fire. By the way, I'm oh, not kind of sure like a like calming thing. Right? Yeah. It's calming, yeah. very mm -hmm. calming, very relaxing. And it's given to animals uh, here in Hawaii. We kind of go berserk at new year's. So the animals don't like it, right? All the sounds. So yeah. we uh, have our animals drink it so that they just kind of relax and don't get as frazzled. So there we go. That's that. <laughs> that's exciting. Well, yeah. I love that. You know, I know we met several years ago doing work mm -hmm. within the Catholic church and I just always yes. appreciated, you know, the, the passion you have, you know, for being Hawaiian, for, explaining, you know, um, and educating mm -hmm. folks on the history. I feel like I've learned so much from you just about, you know, the struggles and even, you know, the historical happenings really that, yeah. you know, we never learned in school to be sure. Free. Sure. Um, and I think a lot of people perhaps, you know, when they think of Hawaii, it's like, oh, it's a beautiful Island paradise. You don't need a passport to go to. Right. And it's <laughs> like seen as this really idyllic, you know, vacation yes. destination where people want to buy a vacation home or mm -hmm. honeymoon or have their destination wedding. Um, and I think over time, you know, as I've grown in relationship with you and with the other, you know, native Hawaiians, it's, there's really a whole different story that's not told. Um, mm -hmm. I think about the realities of one, how Hawaii became under um, the United States and mm -hmm. also just the day-to-day right now um, yeah. of the Hawaiian people. So maybe, sure. maybe we'll start with November 28th. Cause you have sure. the shirt on. Yes. Um, what is the, you know, it says November 28th is my independence day. My, I'm assuming you're meaning um, the Hawaiians. Mm -hmm. Can you explain a little bit about what that historical piece in time was about? 
You know, the, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that where I want to start is, is here, and I'll get to the 28th very soon. You'd mentioned something. You said that I'd shared with you things that you had never heard before that you weren't taught, you know, growing up. And I think that that's a very important part of the narratives that are being shared now. Um, and that is for us to revisit a certain part of um, archival studies, which is called um, uh, historiography. Historiography and historiog historiography is defined as simply where we get our history from. Where do we get our history from? Where do the, the books that we read, where did it come from? What were their sources? And I think that what happens or what's happened here in Hawaii over the last, you know, 130, 140 years is that the history that has been taught up until recent times, I'm talking about in the last 20, 25 years, up until recent times, all that's been taught about Hawaiian history came from four or five sources that were all written in English. And that's very problematic. I mean, imagine being an Italian, only speak Italian, and you go to the Library of Congress and you say, I want to write a history of America. Please give me all the documents you have written in Italian. And out of the billion documents, they had you like a stack of 100 papers. And then you write a history based on that. It's probably not going to be complete, right? And so imagine non-native Hawaiian speakers, like non-Hawaiian speakers coming in and trying their best to write a history based on the English resources that were available. And that's what we've been living off of. But what we uh, what what the world failed to know because it wasn't taught to them is that Hawaii, which I'll get into the 28th in a, in a minute, was a thriving kingdom with over a 90% literacy rate. And because of that, we had dozens of Hawaiian newspapers that were written daily. And in fact, we have the first colored newspaper in the world. We are historically known as uh, the people who had the first, it was a picture of our flag, which is right over here on the front of, uh, of a newspaper. And what's happened over the last 25 years uh, with the uh, improvement of, of technologies, we've had a digitization of literally hundreds of thousands, literally hundreds of thousands of pages of Hawaiian newspapers. All of a sudden, we're reading thousands and thousands of voices that are telling the story of what happened here in Hawaii. It doesn't mean that those four or five English sources were all completely wrong, but those were just five voices, right? There were hundreds and hundreds, thousands of voices that shared what was going on during that time. And so now, and I'll recommend the book here, I'll talk about this one in a little bit, but you have great dissertations, great books that are not retelling the Hawaiian, Hawaiian history, but are for the first time telling Hawaiian history with all the other voices. Basically history in the, from the Hawaiian language being translated into English. And all of a sudden you start to see, wait a minute, these five voices, these English speaking voices are saying this, this, and this, but I have 10,000 Hawaiian voices saying other parts of the history that were left out here. And then now all of a sudden we can revisit Hawaiian history. And when you revisit Hawaiian history with all those voices, you start to see uh, something devastating that, and the devastating things that happen to the uh, not only the indigenous Hawaiian people, but to the kingdom of Hawaii. 
So I, I don't know if you want to, did you want to jump in and say anything? If not, I'll get into the 28. No, keep going. I'm, okay. <laughs> I'm okay. absorbing your wisdom as usual, Dallas. <laughs> so, so November 28th, 1843, November 28th is the day known as La Kuokoa. And La Kuokoa, in essence, means Independence Day, the Day of Independence. And it was because on November 28th in 1843, the three emissaries that King Kawikea Oli Kamehameha III sent out were able to accomplish something that um, King Kamehameha III sought for a long time. And that was for our Hawaiian island kingdom to be recognized as an independent nation, not as a tribe, not as you know um, a people that are a protectorate or anything like that, but quite literally its own kingdom. And I'll read off of here because I have um, what they were to accomplish, by the way, just to honor them. The name of the emissaries was uh, Tim, uh, were Timoteo Ha'alilil, a native Hawaiian. Then you have William Richards, who, is, who was an American Protestant missionary who left the ministry in order to serve the kingdom. And then you also have Sir George Simpson, who was a uh, English, you know, a native. And so these three um, men who worked for the king uh, were sent out and they were uh, sent out to seek uh, a declaration of independence for Hawaii. And in 1843, November 28th, um, in the court of London, these three emissaries, along with emissaries from uh, representatives, diplomatic representatives from France and English, signed an international uh, England and France signed an international agreement, and this is what it says. Her Majesty, the Queen of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland, and His Majesty, the King of the French, taking into consideration the existence in the Sandwich Islands of a government capable of providing for the regularity of its relations with foreign nations, have thought it right to engage reciprocally to consider the Sandwich Islands as an independent state and never to take possession, neither directly or, or under the title of protectorate or under any other form of any part of a territory of which they are composed. And so it was that declaration that granted us um, on the world stage recognition as our own independent kingdom. We were a nation all to ourselves. And in fact, over the years that followed, we ended up having a total of um, over two dozen treaties signed with different countries and over 136 accredited Hawaiian diplomatic consulates, legations, and embassies on six different continents. So we were a full-fledged kingdom. Um, and that's what this day represents. And it was celebrated from uh, 1843 all the way the last time the newspapers, the Hawaiian newspapers, had a mention of a celebration was in 1903, which was after the supposed overthrow or the supposed annexation rather of the Hawaiian kingdom. And so November 28th was lost in history. Uh, what we find when we start reading the history of the Hawaiian uh, people from the Hawaiian newspapers is that the illegal overthrow of the Hawaiian people in 1893, which I'll get into in a second, it was, 100% part of the plan, and this is written, um, the archives are quite crazy because sometimes 
there's some very damning letters and things that are found in the archives. I'm like, this wasn't email, folks. You probably should have thrown that stuff away. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Throw it in a fire you know? if you really didn't want this right. to get out. Exactly. Yeah. But it was American businessmen along with others that conspired illegally, treasonously, in fact, treasonous under Hawaiian law and seen as um, an illegal insurgency by America at first, um, at first. And it was a, a conspiracy to overthrow the Hawaiian kingdom in 1893. And then after this uh, uh, illegal overthrow, they plotted over a period of about 13 years was the, the, the implementation period. They plotted to illegalize the Hawaiian language Mm. Uh, they plotted to uh, not only illegalize the Hawaiian language in public settings and in um, the schools, but also to literally blot out Hawaiian history. Some of these insurgents, and I say that word insurgent freely uh, because that's what Grover Cleveland called them in the beginning. We'll get back to that in a minute. But they literally said that the only way to stop the resistance of the Hawaiian people will be to blot out their history. Mm. Yeah. And so that's exactly what they implemented and it succeeded. Um, my mother tells me stories of when she was younger being uh, corporally punished for speaking Hawaiian, of um, being corporally punished or being scolded for not standing up and saying a pledge allegiance to the flag of America. Um, again, this is my mother who was definitely Hawaiian and had no genealogy outside of those who live in Hawaii. And so, recorded genealogy. And so, uh, what's happened now is a resurgence, probably starting in the 70s up until now, not only a resurgence of slowly recovering the history that they tried to blot out, but they forgot that people would once again learn their language and be able to read it. And then technology would allow it to be accessible to everyone. We see what they did. We see the conspiracy. We see letters written between the insurgents planning this these Ill illegal things. Um, you know, the idea of denationalization, which they were trying to do, get them to stop thinking about Hawaii, think about America under one of the Geneva con conventions. I can't remember when, but that is, denationalization is considered a war crime. You don't denationalize in that way. And that's what happened to the Hawaiian people. And so now, as we recover uh, our stories, as we recover our history, as our language has been, I honestly think that the, the worst thing, the worst mistake that America made um, in the now, you know, the, the current uh, state of Hawaii is they, um, they uh, sponsored the, uh, the Kaiopuni schools, the Hawaiian immersion schools, starting in the in the early 80s. And now you have thousands upon thousands of fluent Hawaiian speakers who have a Hawaiian cosmology who realize now what was taken from them, what was taken from their grandparents, and they're not happy. You know? <laughs> and so and now it's it's yeah. it's it's like a snow snowball rolling downhill. It's just not gonna stop. And that's just the beginning. Only now are we seeing the first two or three three, uh, you know, uh, groups of people who are graduated from the system and who are now writing PhDs, wait until the next generation, because education has gotten better, yeah. you know, and, and wait, wait to, to wait till what you see uh, come out in the, the years that come. The last thing that I'll mention 
is, uh, and then we can, of course, open it up more, is the events of 1893, or, or just a brief overview of what happened to the Hawaiian kingdom. By the um, late 1880s, we were a complete constitutional monarchy. And it was, I think, completed under Kameha, Lot Kamehameha, uh, Kamehameha V, where uh, he, in essence, uh, ratified or changed, rather, um, amended the constitution that we had in order to remove any dictatorial powers that he had. And so it was genuinely a constitutional monarchy. Of course, the king had executive powers, but much like other governments that are a little bit more democratic, um, they it wasn't a dictatorship in what in mm -hmm. any way whatsoever. It was a constitutional monarchy. And it was um, in 1887 where some of this uh, rumblings of this conspiracy, um, they call it a revolution, and I'll tell you why it's not a revolution, but um, I'll get back to that. But in 1887, American businessmen and landowners, or the um, the sons of the, the great-grandchildren of the initial missionaries that came here, they uh, did not like the lack of authority that they had to do business and to have access to land. And so they conspired, actually, against King Kalakaua, um, which was the last king of Hawaii, um, and second elected king, by the way. But he uh, was... Um, forced under threat of death, that's why they call it the Bayonet Treaty, to sign an amendment to the treaty that Kamehameha V had created, which in essence gave more authority to the businessmen. Mm. Now, what happened was after that treaty, um, Kamehameha, sorry, Kalakawa died a few years later, and his sister, Queen Liliuokalani, became the monarch, became the queen of Hawaii. Now, she knew the, the heva, the wrong that was done to her brother, and her, along with um, some royalists, wanted to restore the rightful constitution, because you can't be forced into signing a constitution. Mm -hmm. So they wanted to simply restore the, the constitution that was, um, or enact, empower, uh, actually use the constitution that was in effect prior to this forced bayonet constitution which is in all the Hawaiian newspapers, by the way. You can read the stories of this Bayonet Constitution. And of course, the businessmen and others panicked. They didn't like this. And so in January in January of 1893, they conspired along with um, Lauren Thurston, John L. Stevens from America, um, with the support, the illegal support, uh, without America's knowledge at that time, um, with the support of the American military, um, staged uh, a coup um, at Iolani Palace, and the queen not wanting her um, people to die or to suffer, signed a conditional surrender of the authority of the kingdom. Um, but when you read it, and it's very graceful the way she she wrote, um, she wrote it in order to save her people from hardship, from 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 death, and from fighting, um, because they showed up with marines, mm -hmm. you know, um, and. But she said that she's positive that America and the good president in America would see the heva, see the wrong and would restore her, you know, and get rid of this, you know, this uh, treasonous act. What happened was it got uh, the, the president at that time was President Grover Cleveland and he got wind of it. He got wind of it and immediately wrote back to the queen um, saying that what had happened to her was a treasonous act. 
and that the, he refers to all of the men involved as uh, insurgents. That's what he referred to them mm. as and demanded her immediate restoration to the throne. Well, the problem is uh, there wasn't Twitter back then. There wasn't email. So not everyone got this message. They did, and they controlled it, this illegal, they call themselves a provisional government. And they simply ignored it. And they established themselves as a provisional government and they, um, uh, you know, a fake provisional government that acted as if they were running Hawaii um, with the queen um, helpless uh, awaiting rescue from uh, the Amer uh, the American president who did want all he asked, which is really interesting, and the queen wasn't interested in this anyway. All he asked is that even though they should be punished, that these insurgents would not be um, executed because under Hawaiian law, even I believe in America now, treason could be, you know, you could be executed for it in certain states um, anyway. And so that was the punishment for treason. And all he asked is that he, that she not do that. And she was fine with that, you know? Mm -hmm. So that was in 1893. And there were rebellions that happened after that um, of some brave Aloha Aina, uh, you know, patriots, Hawaiian patriots that tried to restore the queen. They were arrested for um, people like Robert Wilcox um, and others, uh, Joseph Navahi and other great Hawaiian men um, which I'm proud of because they were part Hawaiian. They weren't full okay. Hawaiian. They were part Hawaiian, but they they went in and they fought for the queen and they were arrested for treason by this fake, you know, provisional okay. government. Um, then we, uh, the reason why, before I wrap up here, the reason why it's not a revolution though, because there's a whole science or philosophy behind revolution is because this change in government, this illegal overthrow or this attempt at overthrow was not wanted by the people. It was not wanted by the natives. And what happened was um, after several attempts at this fake American government trying to get America to officially annex Hawaii, what happened was the uh, there was a group called the Hui Aloha Aina, which still exists today, that went around and they got signatures of all the native people as well as some of the Hawaiian subjects that had, you know, they, they weren't Hawaiian, but all they've ever known as Hawaii and they're like three generations in and out of the about uh, if I'm not mistaken, it could be wrong on the number um, around 55,000 or 60,000 native Hawaiians. Um, they received 41,000 signatures mm. against the annexation An overwhelming majority did not want this American annexation. Our queen actually got this and went to Washington, D.C. in 1898 and pleaded for her people. And that's why, even though we don't got to go down this rabbit trail uh, too much, I wasn't too happy when AOC um, said that Damien should not be in that hall. The queen should be in that hall. Negative. That, to me, is colonialism. Putting her queen, you know, in the hall where she went to fight for her people and she went to fight against that government mm -hmm. to um, have her own her own kingdom restored. So now in 1898, at the, uh, the brink of the opening of the Spanish-American War, America seeing the absolute need for control of the Pacific fleet with the use of Pearl Harbor, which by the way, we already had a treaty with them to use Pearl Harbor. Just gonna say, <laughs> um, 
uh, but uh, you know, they uh, there's so much I could say about that. But they seeing that new president, no longer Grover Cleveland, and it was President McKinley who um, decided that, you know, what's probably a good idea that we have control of this place. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some very good, and I have record of it, some very good congressmen, I believe from Texas, thank you, Texas, who were like, what are you talking about? You can't do this. Do you know what I mean? You can't, the, yeah. no, you can't annex these people. They don't want it. What are you even talking about? Um, so thank you for them. Um, so they couldn't. Congress did not ever pass um, or did not ever seek to annex appropriately um, Hawaii. Because in an annexation, you need the country coming to annex to sign a treaty with the country being annexed. Mm-hmm. That's the only way annexation happens or by war, which wasn't happening. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so those are the only inter- under international law, even today, those are the only ways for an annexation to be signed or to be done. Now, America not being able to get a, a treaty of annexation pa- passed a joint resolution in Congress. A joint resolution is a law that affects American citizens and only American citizens. It's as if Congress, it's like if Congress tomorrow got together and all agreed, you know what, tomorrow we're going to take over France. You don't do that. Congress, congressional law, Congress has the authority to create law for Americans. That's it. And for American territories. And so there was never a treaty signed. Um, There was never an annexation of treaty, but in 1898, they celebrated what they called the day of annexation. And so this shirt here, November 28th, I don't know if you can see the back. Can you see it says, show me the treaty? Yeah. (laughs) Show me the treaty because there was never a treaty signed. Um, And then to wrap it up, fast forward now to 1993, President Bill Clinton and Congress, I believe it was the public law I can't remember 103 or something like mm-hmm. that. You can just look up Hawaiian. Anyone can. Yeah. Um, I actually <laughs> recommend people who question anything that I've said, go and look up. I always recommend people from America look up the Hawaiian apology bill. On right. The bill because <laughs> it's Congress, a bill, right? It's a bill? Congress signed a bill that mm-hmm. basically says everything I just said, mm-hmm. you know? And so um, they acknowledge that the Hawaiian kingdom has never legally been dissolved. And, now, the problem we run into now, Cecilia, which is the reality, is that they acknowledged it, but there's no action taking off of that. What about the thousands of Hawaiian families that lost their land because America decided that it was theirs now, right? What about the fact that we are a minority in our own homeland? Mm. What about the fact that any action taken to help the Hawaiian people has been pretty much kind of a joke. You know, the establishment of Hawaiian homelands and God bless Prince Kohio who got that done. He was doing his best. Mm -hmm. But the Hawaiian Homelands Act that gave Hawaiian people, um, in my opinion, is extremely racist because they have a blood quantum requirement, Mm. meaning that you need to be a certain percent Hawaiian blood to qualify for it. What? That to me is extremely racist. Why? Well, it was done that way because they figured a couple generations there won't be any Hawaiians left. According to their blood quantum, yeah. right? And now there's 20,000, 30,000 people still waiting in line, you know, on a list for access to lands. And by the way, the lands are not in, you know, the lush 
you know, uh, Ko'olau foothills. No, it's out in the desert. It's out in lands that are very hard to farm on, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, even literally on lava, like literally on solid lava, right? That's where they, that's what they have done. And the Hawaiian people, and this is, this is where I, I think we can kind of go from here. The Hawaiian people are genuinely a minority. I am never going to appropriate the horrors that have happened to other racists because of racism, right? No, we don't have the same plight. Our people were never forced into slavery like our, our Black brothers and sisters. We weren't killed like the Native Americans were. Those, that's not our plight. And I, wanna, I don't want to pretend like it's the same plight. Mm -hmm. And I hope that they would re respect that our plight is not theirs either, Mm -hmm. we lost we were our kingdom was stolen from us mm -hmm. but we don't have millions and millions worldwide of our race there's about 350,000 people that have hawaiian ancestry alive mm -hmm. that's we're not the smallest minority but we're a minority yeah. and because of that our voices sometimes are not heard our people roll their eyes when hawaiians speak up about something that's important to the hawaiian people the whole thing with uh, the, the telescope on Mauna Kea, yeah. eye roll, right? They've even taken the Office of Hawaiian Affairs, which makes decisions for Hawaiian people, and declared, because it's against the American Constitution, that every person that lives in Hawaii can vote for who's in the Office of Hawaiian Affairs. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. So every action that's been taken for Hawaiian people in the last 50, 60 years, except, uh, back until Kuhio in the 1920s, it's all been decided by non-Hawaiian people because it's majority rule, right? Well, we're not going to be the majority. Yeah. And so Hawaiian people, um, even though our culture and our language and um, the success of our people are, are on, an, on the uptick, let me remind you, we were 90% literate. Almost all Hawaiian citizens were bilingual or even trilingual, mm -hmm. right? We were the first kingdom to have a head of state, Palakawa, circumnavigate the world. Queen Lili Okalant, sorry, uh, Ilani Palace had electricity before the White House did. Mm -hmm. Ilani Palace had a telephone before the White House did. We were very progressive in a positive way. We banned slavery 15 years before the American Civil War. We had women voting in the 1840s. We were on the right path. My question is, what did we gain? Hmm. I believe greater powers need to protect smaller powers. Hmm. I believe that. But just because you're bigger doesn't mean that we should belong to you. Hmm. We yeah. should have had a friendship a treaty, you should have taken care of us and allowed us to exist, much like, let's say, the kingdom of Tonga, right? Allow us to exist and be who we are and allow us to rule ourselves, which is a God-given right. Sovereignty mm -hmm. is a God-given right. And that's not what happened. And so 99% uh, of the time when I have conversations like this, what's asked of me is like, Oh, come on, you know, uh, you might you you need to be grateful that America, you know, took you over, etc. Now, it's normally out of ignorance. I'm not going to you know categorize all of them under mm -hmm. one. It's normally out of ignorance. I don't know if they realize how genuinely racist that statement is. Yeah. And and I'm by the way, 
it's really funny that I that we talk about this because um here in Hawaii and in other places too, I am seen as like the most conservative guy, right? I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm no, really like, um, so I always tell people I'm not invited to the liberal parties. I'm not invited to the conservative parties, you know, <laughs> because, but the thing is, is just justice is justice, period. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is I am not out there calling everything I see racist. I'm not, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, people are people and they're not always trying to get at you. They're just ignorant. But to say that we needed America, to me, the only answer that you can give is a racist one, because the brown people needed some help. I mean, that's the way it comes across to me anyway, because of all the kingdoms during that time that had a greater power come and overthrow them or, you know, annex them or take over for a while. Do you know that we're literally the only kingdom that wasn't given back its rightful authority? Mm. Tonga was taken over for a little while. Nope, they're their own kingdom now, right? So the idea that someone would have taken us over, simply not true, Yeah, you know? And if America were to leave now, do you think the world would allow someone to come annex us? Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. That wouldn't happen. And so you either have ignorance or a statement that would not apply to today, like someone would take you over, or it's, well, you know, your little tribe of people needed help. No, that that we were a thriving kingdom. By the way, tribes can take care of themselves pretty good too. Right. Okay? <laughs> but but we were a thriving kingdom and it was taken from us. And now we have generations of homeless Hawaiians that live on the beaches because they cannot live in their homeland. They simply cannot afford to buy a home. My home that I live in right now where I'm at Praise God. God blessed us so much. It is a nice home. It's not the world's best home. It's not super big. I think it's like maybe 2,500 square feet, $1.2 million. That's insane. And that's by like the, the way, right? Like the average home price in Hawaii average. is in the millions, right? Like that's yes. insane. And we're, I am 20 minutes, which is probably center of the island. Yeah, we are center. I'm 20 minutes away from the beach. You know, and so yeah. the, the 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 cost of living has skyrocketed. I have heartbroken Hawaiian classmates and friends who have left Hawaii because they just can't afford to. They don't want mm. to, but they literally cannot afford to live here. And you have 2,500 native Hawaiian people living on the beaches on the west side, waiting for Hawaiian homelands to kick mm. in. So that's kind of where we're at now. There's more to talk about too, but I think I can stop for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for sharing all that. Cause yeah. one, I think that's a history we don't get in school, um, that we don't really hear a lot, even today, you know, <laughs> with a lot yeah. of people wanting to learn about different ways, um, you know, that the U S has subjugated people that has done people injustice. Like I, I think, the the stories that um have been told about hawaii it's kind of like what you're saying right there's this perception that oh they they became part of the u.s because they must have needed the right there's no thought i don't think people even maybe even think about what hawaii was like before the u.s came along and it's exactly what you're saying right it's saying Mm -hmm. it was its own kingdom it was thriving people were reading people were like like y'all y'all were doing your thing and um it's almost you know if when you tell the story to make it seem like you know oh they were people who needed to be saved 
yeah, right? Exactly. Or they needed yeah. the U.S. because X, Y, and Z. Um, maybe that helps people justify it in their mind, right? That was the story that was told of many other sure. nations that were subject of the U.S. at some point in time and of some You're places right. who are still, right? U.S. territories and whatnot. Right. But, you know, it's it surprises me, I think, what, what I think is unique to Hawaii is that so many people go to Hawaii for vacation, for leisure, for recreation, to go to a luau, to watch a hula, to surf, and have no idea, right, no. about all of the things that you're sharing. One, the history, but two, what's happening today, right, in the mm -hmm. continuous plight of Native Hawaiians. And I just wonder, you know, as you were speaking, what do you think, you know, because I know this is probably what people think. Well, what, well, then what do you want, right? Like, sure. do you, should the U.S. just leave? Mm -hmm. What about tourism, right? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I say this because I know people have, when I've spoke up about what I know about Hawaii, that's like the mm -hmm. question. Well, not like Hawaii wouldn't survive now without tourism. I'm sure you've probably mm -hmm. heard that argument. Um, mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on a path forward? Because one, I do think it's insane that the U.S. would issue an apology, but then really... But nothing. But you know? do nothing, right? Nothing. To, yeah. Like, okay, you're sorry, but not sorry. So it's basically sorry, not sorry. Yeah. yeah. So what yeah. what do you think, you know, as far as like moving forward and dreaming, you know, of mm -hmm. what could be, what does justice look like for you, for the Hawaiian people, knowing what we know um, um, and knowing the state of the world right now? There are a couple of different paths. Um, I'll share the one that I am most passionate about, and then I'll tell you the ones that ideally, um, or at least in uh, theory, I believe are ultimately the just the, the just answer. The, uh, the, the path that I'm most interested in, because I want to see some benefit for my children, is um, um, this renaissance that we're going through now of our language and our dance and our understanding our history and everything, um, is uh, a cultural sovereignty for us to be able to um, speak Hawaiian in our school system. And I'm not just talking about the, the immersion schools. Um, it's actually, people don't realize that, but it is an official language of the state of Hawaii. Um, and because of that, if you're in a public school here and you wanna write a paper in Hawaiian, they gotta find the translator. So, um, you know, that kind of sovereignty. Uh, the Hawaiian gathering rights. My 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 children and my wife and I went out to the mountains yesterday to collect some things that we needed for some of the cultural things that we do. Now we have access to some places, but enough of a big sign at you know some of my favorite fishing places growing up saying sorry, stay out, government property, right? Mm -hmm. We need to work on things like that. We need to work on transparency with uh, the American government and the atrocities that have happened with them. Um, let's say, I'm sure the world, all your listeners have probably heard of the um, the tainting of the water at Red Hill, Yeah. right? Um, and I loved my Hawaiian brothers out there in their traditional garb fighting for the military families. They're like, we're here because you're poisoning your people, you right? know? And, 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 and you're poisoning us too, but like mostly them, and we're not okay with that, FYI, you know? And so, um, you know, I think that cultural sovereignty and, their, and the rights of us to be able to practice our culture and to have access to lands and to be able to do to be who we are as a people without um, strenuous uh, uh, restrictions, 
you know, that's something that I think is achievable. And we're slowly making our way towards mm-hmm. that. And that's just the beginning goal. That's the, that's the uh, um, immediate. This is what we can do Like now. if we want to take could, one step, let's try this one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're going to do that now because I, you know, I remember my grandfather, God bless him, before he passed away, years before he passed away, I, I talked to him about this history and he was very aware of the history. But I asked him, so aren't you mad? And then this is what he told me. And he was already in his older years, so he's very calm. <laughs> he was walking around his garden where he grew, um, you know, his mala, where he grew all of his herbs and, you know, everything that he used, all his Hawaiian herbs and everything. And he looked around and he goes, uh, well, this is my land here. I'm Hawaiian. Is anyone telling me I can't be, you know? And I said, no. He goes, I think I'm okay, you know? And that was, and it wasn't that he didn't believe in the things we're speaking about. It's just that at the twilight of his life, he was able to accomplish something. He was able to accomplish being Hawaiian and living out his culture on his own land, you know, and things like that. So that's one way. The second way that we have to take a look at is, um, let. I think it's so funny. Sometimes I, 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 I wonder, I, ask myself when I read laws and I read how laws are either enforced or not enforced, I sometimes ask myself, where are all the adults? You know, like where are all <laughs> of the adults? Definitely a teacher. I know. Well, but where where are all of the adults like enforcing these laws that we're supposed to have? Because we do have international law literally on our side. What happened, America, no one wants to mess with America. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. America broke international law when they did what they did here in Hawaii. It's a, and, and America admitted it. So it's yeah. like, they're telling everyone we broke international law, yeah. but no, but so there is recourse and, you know, um, world, world courts and things like that. And there are people, um, the writer of this book, his name is Dr. Keanu Sai, mm-hmm. Keanu Sai. It's called Uamaukea and Uamaukea means sovereignty indoors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, um, all written based on Hawaiian sources, like Hawaiian language sources. Excellent book. And, um, you know, he's working his, he's doing what he can to bring the argument to the world court, say that there has to be recourse for the Hawaiian people. They literally broke international law. Why is nobody enforcing all the laws that all these conventions throughout the world have made? Yeah. Like they broke international law and no one's doing yeah. anything. And then so, publicly admitted it. <laughs> Right. So that's the high level. That's the high level things. But I want to point out something that I think is very interesting. You have to, if you go down to the courthouse down the road here, we have records back to the 1840s. The firehouse that's in Pro City was there from like the mid or from the mid um, 19th century, from the 1800s. Um, The police have history back before this supposed um, um, annexation. and so what America did is they literally replaced the leadership. You see a lot. We were a thriving kingdom. So we had a whole police system. We had a court system. We had all of this stuff. They replaced or, uh, you know, took over the leadership. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that Hawaii simply cannot regain, it's like a big eye roll, you know, like that uh, we call it high makamaka, right? Like just this arrogant view of High maka maka means your eyes are high, right? The maka is our eyes, right? Like, you know, like I'm above you is this idea that your idea, your idea of getting back your kingdom is just never going to happen. That's unrealistic. Unrealistic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, if you, if you really think about it, 
all that would have to happen is the restoration of the right leadership. Because again, um, every government, almost every governmental structure existed prior to this annexation. And, and then we have records of it. Like if you go to the governor's office, they have record of things that the queen decided. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's just a replacing of the leadership. And remember, we were a constitutional monarchy. Mm-hmm. What would that require then? It would require us to simply elect a new monarch. That's what would have to happen. So it's not as unrealistic as some people might want to put it out there to be. Mm-hmm. And I, in principle, agree with it. Not only agree with it, I, I pray that, that we have you know recourse to that one day. Um, I want to point something out in no way. And I, I, I think I mentioned it in the beginning. This is important for me to say because I, I mean it. Um, um, in no way am I anti-America. I'm not anti-America at all. Um, remember, I am American. My father is American. I'm grateful for the things that I benefited from being Amer- American. I happen to think we'd have the same benefits under our kingdom, you know, but I am not anti-American whatsoever. And, you know, racism is something that was introduced to Hawaii. We were not racist. All of King Kamehameha the first friends were white, you know, like racism was something that was taught to us. We didn't mm-hmm. have, we didn't see people like that. You know, yeah. we, 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 we based our, our relationship with them or we, we judged them on the quality of who they were, period. The queen, mm-hmm. the queen had um, white Hawaiian subjects, blonde hair, blue eye, white Hawaiian subjects who died or, or were imprisoned for treason for fighting for her. Mm-hmm. you know, after this uh, this overthrow. So there was no color that made you uh, less or, you know, more or less a Hawaiian subject. Having Hawaiian blood is different. The queen recognized that, but you were all subjects of the queen. You were all part of the Hawaiian kingdom. Mm. So there is no anti-American. I, I, I am not anti-American whatsoever. And in fact, I think that it's important if any Hawaiians are listening to this, is to remember that... Um, the Americans that are here now, the people who are in government here now, there's issues with the government now. No, no, no <laughs> sure, but 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 the government that we have now, it's not the people that overthrew the kingdom, you know. So yeah. we have to remember that number one, and the number two. There was a great movie that came out. I'll give it a I'll give it a a, a shout out here. It's called The Wind and the Reckoning, and it was done eighty percent in the Hawaiian language. And there's one line in there where um the the son gets mad he starts calling everyone haole haole means oh. <laughs> foreigner and haole is kind of a it, it's no it, it, can, it can be used as a derogatory term and um he start, he calls something you know a, you know stupid haole or whatever and the dad stops him and he goes what is a haole and he goes you know basically light skinned right and white and earlier in the movie there was a uncle a awesome uncle who helped him escape and he was white, but he was loving. He loved them. He was like, you know, he, he he cared for them. So he goes, is uncle so-and-so Haole? And then the boy kind of sits back and thinks about it. He goes, because it's not the color of the skin, right? It's your yeah. spirit. Yeah. yeah. It's it's the love you have or don't have. It's your spirit. And, and I think that that's important for Hawaiians to hear now, because there are many, um, even military folks here, who when they hear the plight of the Hawaiian people, they're like, 
hey, this aloha, uh, this hui aloha aina, Hawaiian patriot, sign me up, man. I want to, I want to, I want to <laughs> go. I want to be a part of it, you know, because they, yeah. there's many good military people who want what is just, you know? And so anyway, I could go on forever. I already talked for an hour. So. Yeah. Sorry. Well, no, I mean, it's good stuff because one, like I was saying, it's a history that's not shared a lot right. on a lot of platforms. A lot of people just are unaware of right. the history and the current um, the current state of how things are right mm-hmm. in Hawaii. And I think it's important to put it out there. I want to ask you something. What do you think? Because I'm thinking of folks who are listening um, mm-hmm. and, you know, when it comes to visiting Hawaii. Yeah. Right. Um, we hear, we see a lot. I've seen a lot of things, you know, of um, <laughs> I think there's an Instagram page and it's like, dumb tourists in the wild or something, you know, and it's (laughs) like things tourists shouldn't do, you know, and it's showing them on like the road is closed for preservation, but they're climbing the fence to take, you know, there's some like blatant disrespectful things, right. That people do when they're on vacation. But but what do you think? Like as someone who cares about justice, but all, you know, and wants Mm -hmm. to kind of honor, um, you know, the native Hawaiian people, do you one think there's a way to responsibly be a tourist in -hmm. Hawaii um, and if so, what would you recommend to people? Like my dad is one. He's like, until the water's clean, we are not going. They don't have clean mm-hmm. water for themselves. We don't need to take like that's that's like just what yeah. my dad says, right? He's like, I don't need to go there for that for myself. Mm-hmm. But like, what would you suggest as a person? You know, because it's like y'all have a beautiful kingdom and a beautiful culture, um, but you also don't want that to be exploited or appropriated. Mm-hmm. So what, what do you think there could, could be recommended for folks who might be wondering? You know, I, I, I think there's two things I want to mention about this. I, I, I didn't mention this because you asked uh, earlier about the, the idea of, well, you wouldn't survive without, or, you know, some would say you wouldn't survive yeah. without tourism and all that. I want to point out that growing up here, um, growing up in the 80s and 90s here, I remember waking up all the time and seeing, um, you know, like once a month there would have we called it Hawaiian snow and it was all the ash that came from the, the sugarcane fields. Right. And it would be falling down because it would blow. Right. And we call it Hawaiian snow. Um, up until around, uh, I think, I believe the late eighties, nineties, our major industry was not tourism. We had agriculture. We had our own system of agriculture and all that kind of stuff. And we made quite a bit of, um, uh, you know, our industry was based on that. And I think that one of the actions that need to happen right now is because of that 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 uh, that that statement that is often made that we wouldn't survive without tourism is yeah okay so we need to start re- it was a government decision to end agriculture as a major source of our industry yeah mm-hmm. and so there are many different things that that could happen um, you know uh, along the way to help us reestablish that um, give farmland to farmers you know let's get this going again right and so there's a way out of it there is a way out of it but i'm also very very aware that because of the rather you know uh um rather uh, uh hindered situation we're in that tourism is important like literally right now it's important for um the economy to function it shouldn't be that way that's the that's the point i wanted to make it shouldn't yeah. be that way and there is a way out of that but being what it is I really think that the answer to that is Hawaii is known for and has always been hospitable. We were always a hospitable people and you're more than welcome to to come. Here's what I would say. 
don't be a jackass. <laughs> that's it. I mean, that's really the answer, right? If there are rule, if there's a sign that says this is a sacred, uh, a place sacred to Hawaiian people, please do not step on the rocks. Don't step on the rocks, right? I mean, it's as simple as that. Take your pictures. We don't, it's fine, you know, but don't do things to buck the system, right? Who do you think, who do you, you know, do you think it's the mean Hawaiians enforcing, you know, all of this kind of stuff? Yeah. No, it's something that's sacred, something that's important to them. Um, and then also, uh, there is an issue with uh, certain kinds of, you know, exploitation. And I understand that. And that's something that we're going to have to deal with. And unfortunately, we have to deal that some of our people, because they're trying to survive, give into it yeah. because they're simply trying to feed their families. What do you say to them? Right. Mm -hmm. But what, what I would say, though, is that the real culture, like the, the real the real Hawaii isn't found um, unfortunately, you need to befriend the Hawaiian people because the real culture, you want to go to a luau. Honestly, a real luau is probably going to be at my house this Sunday, you know, <laughs> right? Because that's Drop the, the address. Way... I'm just kidding. Exactly. But that's exactly what we do. Right. And that's, yeah. that's what a luau is. It's not this big thing where you sit down at a table and someone comes and serves you, you know, yeah. no, 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 no. So the, the the culture um you're not gonna you're not gonna I mean, just take one more sip here you're not gonna get ava at one of the luau's in town <laughs> you know what i mean but you would have it at you know a, a hawaiian family's home right and so i think that you know the when you come here follow the rules be respectful also if you want to honor the hawaiian people when you're here simply enjoy yourselves follow the rules simply learn about the hawaiian people mm-hmm Pick up a book. You want a book to read? I recommended I <laughs> this one, right? I have a whole bunch of other books here too, but Uo Maokea by Dr. Keanu Sai. Read that book, right? And just walk around, maybe visit the palace, walk around having read that book. That's a great honor to the Hawaiian people, right? And that's that's the way that I would recommend like a responsible tourist be. Um, unfortunately, that's why there's Instagram channels of it. A lot of people don't do that. Yeah, A lot of people come and they think that they literally own the place themselves, which is very, very disrespectful because I don't think that they would do the same thing and let's say Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's it's trampling upon, a, a, you know, a, a beautiful place and the culture of a people for what benefit for, for what reason? Because you, you think it, it makes you look cool. Yeah. No, it, it doesn't make you look cool. It makes you look like a jackass. So. <laughs> Don't be a jackass, and then you're welcome to Hawaii. Period. <laughs> that's that's right there. Let me, let me tell you something too. Um, and I don't mean it in a derogatory word. I mean I, I in a derogatory way. I mean it in much of the way that um, Ko'olau shared with his son in that movie. Is that's who I would refer to as a haole, mm -hmm. and I mean it. And when I say that, people aren't thinking I'm using a swear word. They get it. It's yeah. someone who has no respect, you know. And that's a haole to me. Someone who's going to come here and be a jackass if you come here and you doesn't matter what color you are if you you know love the place you want to learn about it you know you enjoy it and you know you uh do your best to learn about the place and everything like that dude you're totally welcome completely welcome <laughs> and so that's what i would say a good tourist should be yeah. oh that's great i'm like oh, yeah. there's still hope for those people who <laughs> Yeah. Who want to visit Hawaii? Of course. Of Dallas. He has a luau. Yeah. <laughs> it's... Yeah. But it's, I mean, it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's so cool. I think, you know, to be able to talk with you and to just 
hear, you know, your take on things. I think, you know, part of how we connected is obviously through, through church circles and maybe to close off, I'm, Mm -hmm. you know, I think there've been a lot of discussions across the board and maybe even just like across the world when it comes to faith and Mm -hmm. church and native peoples, be it from whatever place they were from. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. What is your take on that? Because I I always kind of wonder, you know, um, when people hear the word missionaries, doesn't matter Mm -hmm. where they went, there's already kind of like a, oh gosh, like, you know, what did they do? They must mm-hmm. have done something bad. Mm-hmm. Um, they must have, you know, hurt the people. They, there, there's all these assumptions when you hear the word missionary. Sure. Um, and you mentioned earlier um, AOC's comments about, you know, mm-hmm. Damian Molokai statue and all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, you're Native Hawaiian. You're also American. You're also Catholic, which mm-hmm. is kind of a really interesting <laughs> yeah. amalgamation of, of different mm-hmm. identities. What is your opinion or maybe just your experience of being Catholic? and Hawaiian and how does Mm -hmm. all of that I think kind of manifest in the way that you you live your life sure I think the most important thing to realize is and again a lot of this is coming in the last 25 30 years with the digitization of the Hawaiian newspapers um, because there was Christian newspapers Um, there's the Catholic standard the Okahai Katolika right there back from like the 50s 1850s and uh when we read, uh, when we read about the missionaries, and I, I have to say, I do know that our experience here was not like the experience that some Native American tribes endured. It was not like other places, and I, I don't want to paint this with a broad brush, saying that I defend everything and all missionaries. No, no. But the reality is, is the Hawaiian people embraced the Christian religion. And then the Catholics embraced their Catholicism. And by the 1860s, it was it was great. I'm reading these Hawaiian newspapers and there's editorials and you have Hawaiians that live on different islands through the editorials debating theology. You know, <laughs> they, they, they were they were well catechized. They understood and they loved being Catholic. They loved being Christian. They were proud of it. The statement that uh, I someone shared with me, which really opened my eyes, was being back then, and it should be now, back then, during the kingdom era, and even now, being Hawaiian made you no less Christian, and being Christian made you no less Hawaiian. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah. and and that is true back then. It was ev- evidently true back then, mm-hmm. and it is true now. I'll say too that um, there is. I, I want to give him a shout out. He's a friend of mine. There's a, a great uh, um, archivist and a historian named Dr. Ron Williams. He's a white guy from Chicago. <laughs> and he moved to Hawaii. He learned the language. Um, and he has his PhD in Hawaiian studies. And he uh, wrote a dissertation with this intention. He wanted to show how evil the Christian churches have been in Hawaii and how that's the reason the kingdom was lost. And that's the reason uh, colonialism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, um, he's still not a Christian, by the way. He wasn't converted through this. He's just a historian. And he went through his PhD and he wrote a great PhD, but what he thought he would find is not what he found. He found the people who were proud of being Hawaiian. He found this is crazy too. 
that it was the Christian churches that were the headquarters for the resistance against the overthrow. And they were the ones that cared for the Hawaiian people during a time of confusion, post-overthrow, post-annexation. And so the uh, churches were not only something that the people embraced and loved, the churches ended up being the support for the Hawaiian people when they had no support. And I remember, I think it was um, Hui Kalai Aina, another group back then, wrote a letter to the head of um, the missionary company, because remember, some of those who overthrew the kingdom were grandchildren of the missionaries. Mm -hmm. And there's a letter out there, I'll have to find it. And basically that letter from Hawaii, from these Hawaiians to this board of missionaries, Protestant missionaries was like, we are so grateful for the missionaries you sent. The first missionaries, these guys <laughs> got to go. Do you know what I mean? Right. And like y'all so, were nice, but the ones who are here now, the are ones not- who are here now, you got to go. Right. And, and, and so that, that for me has been a, a, a great, a, a great thing for me to know moving forward. And that's really solved. Like when I was much younger, like in my early teens, that debate I had in myself, like, mm-hmm. what am I? Cause I know all my myths and legends. I could probably do a theology class on the polytheistic religion of the Hawaiian people, you know, but that was my debate. And, you know, reading um, the history and reading the the words of the people back then who were Christian and who were Catholic made me drop that. There's no conflict in me, you know, mm-hmm. because of that. I, I know that other other native people, other indigenous people might have a conflict. And I under I understand that I don't I understand because I did once feel that way. Yeah. But I, I found peace with my people because that's just the history of what happened here. Now, as a Hawaiian now, um, I think that just, remember, uh, historiography, just like our language, and remember, along with our language and our history being blotted out, guess what? The Hawaiian Catholic, the Hawaiian Catholic culture of back then was also blotted out because it ended up becoming an American Catholic culture, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we are still in that process. I'm a part of a group doing that. We are still in the process. We have these newspapers and that's what's great. We're we're trying to read like what we're looking for, like the random, like every week they did this thing. And I'm like, what is it? What were they doing? Like, we've never done that. It must be a Hawaiian thing. Dude, let's do that, you know? Because we have to recover even that part of our culture, our Hawaiian Catholic culture, because that along with our actual language and culture was forcibly um, blotted out. And we've had this renaissance of recovering it. And now we are slowly working on that Hawaiian Catholic culture um, and restoring that as well. So that's kind of where I'm at with that. And uh, lots more to talk about that, but I'll update you as we move on. Yeah, I mean, that's super exciting. And thank you for sharing kind of how you went through your own own journey. I think anyone who's kind of experiencing that in some ways. I mean, I know as a Filipino, that's a question that comes up sometimes, right? It's the, you know, some folks say Catholicism is the religion of the oppressors or the colonizers. And how can you be Catholic? And I think Mm -hmm. in some ways, a lot of people go through that tension at some point in their life. Um, But you're right. Like, I think we have to find peace with that. And, and I thank you for sharing how you, how you did that. You know, I, I, I guess the one statement I'll make about what you just said is for anybody, I mean, for anybody who says something like that, how could you be, you know, here's what I would say. Um, 
especially if it's not your own people, right? So if if it's uh, if it's yeah, if it's not your own people challenging you on that, for me, it is very reminiscent of AOC's comment, right? Don't when you tell when a non-Hawaiian tells a Hawaiian how the Hawaiian person should feel, that to me is inappropriate, right? That that to me is colonialism, right? You Hawaiians need to, you know what? We don't need any of that. We have enough. The Office of Hawaiian Affairs is voted upon er- by everyone. Can you just stop bothering us? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Because, because, yeah. And 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 I, I, I don't think they understand when they, it's ignorance, but when people do that unwittingly, they, they do cause turmoil in the lives of native and minority people who are trying to figure things out, yeah. you know, and who are trying to figure it, figure it out. And let's just not ever forget that our church is um, a church uh, founded by Christ, divine in its origin, but full of really, really sometimes crappy human people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I believe in the hierarchical church, Cecilia, but I am in the church because this is where God wants me, not because someone told me, mm. you know? And yep. so uh, that's the way I normally respond. And um, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for those words of encouragement. I think a lot of listeners that'll that'll resonate. Thanks for taking all the time to spend with me. I could talk with you about this four hours. You already know that. <laughs> yep, but I'm sure. just so grateful, uh, Mahalo, for sharing everything you just shared. Thank you. Thank you so much for uh, having me on. And, um, you know, I'll, maybe we'll do a, a show in the future. I'll update you on some of the, the cultural sovereignty things I'm working on and trying to gain access for our people to new things. Totally. Thanks, Dallas. Thanks. The Inner Community Peace and Justice Center is sponsored by 24 Catholic Religious Congregations. Grounded in the charisms of our sponsoring congregations and Catholic social teaching, we build community to act for systemic change in our church and world. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Any notes or references from the interview can be found on our website at ipjc.org slash justice rising. You can follow IPJC's work on Instagram at IPJC Seattle. If you like this episode, please consider donating to support our work at ipjc.org, as well as hitting the subscribe button to follow along wherever you get your podcasts.